you know spring is right around the corner with Better Buddies. Hello, and welcome back to Better Buddies. I'm your host, RJ. With us this week, it's James. Hello. Our Better Buddies icebreaker. What is one item you had as a child that you still cherish? I actually have it on my desk. Um, Oh, really? I do. I have a little stuffed uh, lobster. It's a beanie baby. Hmm. Um... And uh, I've had him ever since I was a kid. Uh, he's a little red lobster. I can remember playing with him in the basement of my mom's house when I was young. And I would uh, pretend that he was the um, the Leviathan from Atlantis, the Lost Empire. Aww. Like, <laughs> the sub-scene. Yeah. So... Uh, that's that's one that I kind of lost him for a little bit since I moved so much, but I found him before I came here. And you he found was him again? The, I did. Yeah, oh, I packed amazing. him away in some boxes. I know. I feel I feel very lucky that he's uh, he's in my life once more. So, um, yeah, that would be that would be my childhood uh, little little toy, little cherished item. Mine is a. Uh... Kind of similar. It's my Sheriff Woody. Like a real Sheriff Woody? Yeah, like it's it's a Woody doll. It's not like, it's not movie accurate or anything, but it's like his hat comes off and instead of a pull string, he had like a button on his, one of the buttons on his shirt, you pressed it to make him talk. Um, But the, I kind of do, I have the Buzz as well, like a Buzz Lightyear toy where the wings didn't like pop with the button. It was just like pieces of plastic. You kind of snapped in and off. They were like a soft plastic. Mm-hmm. Um, but like the, both of them were like really well sized to each other for being like the right sizes to each other. Uh, but like Woody in particular was like my favorite took him a lot of places with me. He's worn out. Now one of the buttons is broken off. The paint is faded away on one, some parts of his hair. But there was one memory I have where I had him with me and my mom worked at the hospital as a physical therapist. Oh, we were going to visit her or something. And uh, my dad was talking to somebody at a desk. And we were kind of near like an entrance hallway kind of place. And I got really worried because I couldn't find Woody's hat. And it turned. it was one of those things where like, I was probably like, five maybe six uh but i couldn't find his hat and i tugged at my dad's shirt and i was like i can't find it uh and literally we just turned around it was like two feet down the hallway (laughs) like it it was right there it hadn't gone anywhere (laughs) that's because you know too when you're a little kid like losing stuff like that just breaks your heart (laughs) like you think about it forever well that's one of those things that's like I think, honestly, Toy Story kind of embedded into me is the, like, I have to take care of my stuff. I do think, I, I agree. I do think that's an interesting, like, byproduct of the film is this idea that, um, like, investing these um, these inanimate objects with, like, a life, kind of a little bit of a soul, and the idea that they should be, like, cared for, Um which is almost the idea that you should care for your material objects, right? That like, not necessarily in a like in a, a loving sense, like although the movie does give that a lot of that, but just that like, these are things that if you take care of them, use them for their proper use, put the care into them to keep them nice, will last you. Yeah, like show them a certain level of like courtesy and respect, and just yeah, like care. Which is, I will say, very interesting because obviously the the that's kind of honestly like the theme of the 
the three movies, right? I've, I haven't seen the fourth one, but that's oh. sort of the big theme of the three movies is sort of like, you know, you have, um, you, you, in it really quick, like in the, in the first one, you have, you know, Andy who takes care of Woody and then like gets distracted by Buzz. And then because of that negligence and because of Woody's like egotism, they wind up in the house of Sid who does the opposite of take care of toys. And then in the second movie, it's like all about toys that are taken care of too well. Like people who never even play with them. They just preserve them because they see them as these like artifacts almost. They never even really engage them for their actual purpose. And then three is sort of like, you know, the, um, the end, the, the end of it all where it's like, where does it all end up? Like, how do these, how do these toys like when something has been cared for to the extent that it's you, it's not something that is utilized by its owner. What happens to it? What are the end points for it? You either pass it on to someone else who could use it. You pass it on, you donate it to a general use group Mm. or you trash it. Yeah. And then four is kind of along those same lines as well, because it's it's a very much about the, what does it mean for something that never had the chance in the first place? Right. Is that Bo Peep? Because that's focusing on her. Is it not? Or is she just a big part of the movie? Okay. She's a big part of the movie, but it's the, um, Bo Peep has kind of become this person who like goes and helps toys get played with, but it's almost like free range toys. Where mm-hmm. instead of being confined to like the daycare or something, they're like on the playground. So like there's a bunch of the combat Carl action figures who are like on the playground. And they're like, oh, we got a we got a daycare coming out in uh twenty minutes, let's go. Let's go get played with. And like the daycare leaves and they're like, Alright, uh I hear there's a birthday party uptown, let's go. Oh, that's funny. Okay, so it's like, they're almost cute. like free range toys. I love that. But uh, it's also part of that like uh because it's also like a carnival with um, Key and Peele, their characters. Okay. Um, are a stuffed duck and rabbit that are like stitched together at the hand and foot, or the hand. And they're like a carnival prize, so they really want to be one. Um, and so it's like, a, and then like the villain wants to be, like there's a, the villain is a doll in a secondhand store. Like a vintage doll, like same era as Woody. And mm-hmm. the doll really wants to be loved by the child who is the grandkid of the owner. Um, yeah. Spoiler alert for Toy Story 4. Uh, the doll, part of the reason the doll hasn't been like picked up by anybody though is her busted voice box. It's It's broken. But she came from the same factory as Woody... And they use the same voice box. So her minions literally hold Woody down, rip out his voice, like his uh, pull string voice box, and sew him back up in a very serious body horror scene. That's horrific. (laughs) And then they install it in her. And it's literally just like a little record disc that like they switch out. But she, uh, even after she's fixed though, the kid doesn't care. It was never that she was broken. The kid was just not interested. Um, and they end up finding... They end up taking Bonnie... Like, Bo Peep and Woody end up taking the villain Bonnie to the carnival. And there's a kid who, like, has been lost. And they're like, hey, go, go sneak up behind the kid and make a noise so they pick you up. And you can comfort the kid. And so the doll goes up, gets found by the kid, and is comforting the kid when the kid is found by their parents. And the kid takes the doll home. And so Woody, Woody b- decides to leave the rest of the toys to go join Bo Peep and basically rehoming toys. That's kind of cool. That's good. Um, that's a very uh, cyclical sort of story for him in a way. That's a good fourth installment. Uh, I um, will. I do. As, as It was good. I wouldn't say it's as good as the original trilogy, but like it's it, yeah. for being a fourth installment, it's, it's okay. I, the opening scene fucked me up though, because uh, really? the opening scene puts an, is uh, when Bo Peep was given away, and but the 
it starts off with like Andy coming inside because it's starting to rain out and he dumps all the toys on the bed. He's like a little kid. It's a flashback. Mm-hmm. And one of the toys got left outside in the rain and is in the gutter and is about to be washed away. And it's RC, the car. And I was like, Pixar, don't you fucking do it. Don't you fucking, don't you fucking open this movie by killing off an OG toy. And they rescue the toy, and I was like, oof, you, hmm, you. <laughs> they almost got you. They had you for a second They had there. me for a second there. And then it's Bo Peep being given away, and she's, like, in the bo- in this bo- cardboard box with some other stuff, as, like, the person who pulled in to pick her up is talking with Andy's mom. And Bo Peep invites Woody to jump on the box with her. To just come with her. And he does. And he doesn't. No. Well, he can't. It's it's a prequel to like the scene is before Toy Story three. Yeah, that's still pretty good. Like drama, though. Yeah. We won't be about talking toys. Can we talk about too really quick how that first movie is still like gorgeous in its own right? Like it looks it it looks of its time, but in a really good way. Well, I think. And it go. I agree. I saw it pretty recently. I saw it during COVID. In theaters. Oh my gosh. Uh, local you see theater was theaters? just doing like throwbacks. Like like our hometown local yeah, theater? Hometown or theater like... was just doing throwback movies on the weekends. So like oh, for really so cheap, sick. I saw Toy Story in an empty theater to myself. I saw the first uh, Christopher Reeve Superman. I saw the second Christopher Reeve Superman. I saw uh, Michael Keaton's Batman. Wow, dude, uh, that's actually kind of awesome. But one of the things that makes Toy Story hold up so well is because they very purposefully utilized the tech of the time. When they went to try... Have you ever seen the Tin Toy animated short out of Pixar? I have, yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you remember how god-ugly that baby is? Yeah, it's horrific. It's yeah. a monster. But the toy, the Tin Toy, looks great. It looks like a toy. And when they made that, they realized, hey, wait a minute. Whatever movie we make, the humans are going to look awful. The technology is just not there. It's not going to look good. It's not going to give us the the function we need. But if we make them toys, the fact that it looks kind of plasticky will work in our favor. So when you fast forward 26, 27 years... The movies all still look... The, the first movie still looks great because the toys still look plastic. Yeah, it's just so, like... Well, there, there is something... I, I've spoken bad about CGI before. And I, I mean, all your points are are well-made and, and obviously uh, thoroughly accepted. Um, uh, like, well-taken. And I, I, I say it because, like, I've made a point of somewhat trashing certain like elements of you know 3d animated movies or cgi in general um just like it's not gonna hold up it's not like 2d blah 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 i will say as i've gone back to watch some movies um wally was one that i was like very surprised that movie is 15 years old um so uh you know not as old as toy story but old um and it still looks great it looks like it could have been made a couple years ago um it i think there's looks amazing i think there's a difference between 3d animation and cgi uh because particularly with it being a pixar 3d animation where they put a metric fuck ton of work into their physics engines like if you look at the like, if you zoom in on, po- like, still images of Toy Story 4, or even Toy Story 3, there are goddamn thread counts in those toys. Like, you can count the threads in Woody's vest. Uh, or, like, with um, Brave, they did an entire new physics engine just to make sure her hair got right. And uh, Or, like, in Monsters University, Sully's fur is all individual little bits of fur. So it moves the way it should. So like Pixar just pushes their animation to the extremes to make sure it'll hold up for as long as they can. Two, 
the difference between CGI and 3D animation being CGI is compared with is supplementary to a lot of to real action, right? So mm-hmm. like if you go watch Air Force One, great story about Die Hard on a plane with Harrison Ford, but there's a scene near the end where the plane crashes into a lake, and oh my god, it's such a bad computer generated image. <laughs> is it really? Literally, oh, no. the plane like. Hits down in the water and the back end tumbles up and over and like the plane rotates and spins as it crashes into the water. And it's like, no, no, that's not how planes work. Oh, all I know about Air Force One is uh, get off my plane. That's that's, that's but then, all I like, know. You take a 3D animated movie where the entire thing is animated and it's going to hold up much better because it's never going to change its quality Compared to, like, it, it won't be necessarily the same quality as what comes after. But it's not going to look worse in comparison to anything else around it when you sit down for the experience. That's right? true. I, I do think it depends. Like, I think um, there are some movies. Like, I think Shrek is one of those where it, Shrek is one. Ants is another um, where... The CGI doesn't quite, or the the animation doesn't quite. I think your your point though is is well put, where it's like because there's no relative comparison um, to anything else outside of 3D animation in a 3D animated movie. Yeah, it will on the whole just look as it has a longer shelf life because of that, which I think is like very fair. Um, I, I do think like in some of the earlier 2000s movies where they were CGI and they were like animating people. <laughs> Unfortunately, a lot of DreamWorks movies, honestly, like Over the Hedge um, yeah. has, I don't think it's, it probably hasn't aged super well. I've seen a few clips from there. Well, um, I, that's one of the problems with me, right? Like, don't get me wrong. DreamWorks has done some good things that have like caught on, mm-hmm. but so much of their stuff focused in on people Mm-hmm. Whereas Pixar had enough non-humans where they literally did a movie about monsters. <laughs> like, the most yeah. inhuman you can get. And yeah, and parts of Monsters, Inc. still look up. They, they, some of them are showing their age just yeah. a little bit, like in certain scenes. But I do understand what you're saying. Um, and then, like, even with all the, like, even with the times Pixar did human movies... Like, yeah, okay, Pixar does, like, oh, what if blank had feelings? Like, yeah, it's any fucking story, dipshit. What if someone had feelings? <laughs> what if we weren't just emotionless blocks of stone? <laughs> yeah, can you imagine? Oh, not me. I can't. No, I, I, I do think it'll be interesting as time goes on, because I do think um, these 3D animated movies will... Much like 2D, they'll become like artifacts of their time. There will be something even sort of like uh, um, somewhat endearing, I think, about even if their graphics do start to go bad because they'll remind you of like an old video game, like a good way, you know what I mean? Um, So, yeah. Oh, shoot. Are you still here? Yeah, I'm still here. Okay, okay. For a second, I thought... Um, I yeah, I think you're right um, that uh, it's going to become artifacts. And like you said, like, Legend of Zelda does not, like, the old ones don't look great on, like, the N64, but people still want to play them. Yeah, there's just, I still think there's something. It's the fact that, like, it's kind of one of the only, like, that that type of animation will never come back. You know what I mean? It just can't. Like, it, it, it won't. You can recreate it, but that's not the same thing as, as having as the real thing. So yeah, well, and a lot of those engines, like those, that code just doesn't exist anymore. That is well, I am sure. That is, that is well. Ugh. Damn, you got me yawning. Apologies. Well, senor. Uh, this is a good segue into our next segment. Better buddies recommend where we recommend a piece of media for you to enjoy. What you got? I have a band that I was listening to. Um, They're called the destroy boys. Uh, They are sort of a rock slash punk band is what I would say. 
Um, they're very fun to listen to. Very, very fun. I don't know when their earliest album came out. I have three on my phone that I'm looking at right now. What are they called again? They're, they're called Destroy Boys. Uh, very fun. Um, there's the album that is kind of more of their like punkish album. It's like 25 minutes long. Uh, is called Sorry Mom. Sorry, comma, mom. Uh, very fun. Some great songs on there. Um, they've got another album called Make Room. We've got another album called uh, Open Mouth, Open Heart. And really fun. Uh, great. It's a, it's, a, it's a female vocalist and her kind of backing band. And um, gives me very strong... Uh, Sort of, sort of like an early two thousands. Uh, I won't say quite pop punkish because it's not that like overproduced. It's it actually sounds like genuine punk, but it also sounds weirdly like something you'd hear in like the summer of two thousand four. So, um, really cool sort of mix of styles, in my opinion. I'm not really a a musicologist, so I, I can't <laughs> quite accurately trace styles with any kind of um is it green uh, day no it's not they're not like pop punk, like no 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 they're they're more like Panic actual no no those are all those are all like pop punk like these uh, these are sort of um grunge uh kind of there's there's a band called the breeders that they're kind of similar to and those people me. were from like the 90s i know i don't know if you're gonna know any of the people that i would name off um it, like i almost want to say an at like think kind of an avril lavigne girlfriend vibe but again they're not like that somehow doesn't help me either <laughs> you don't know avril lavigne's girlfriend no bro that's like i listen to weird such shit, a good James. song i listen to you shit not, like the tardigrade song you do not listen to weird shit you <laughs> If I were a tardigrade, I'd move uh, from home. Who uh, who wrote that song? Who was that by? Um, I'd have to pull it up. I mean, I I would just say like they're they're very fun, uh, punk. Like think like two thousand four punk. I don't know what that is gonna like conjure up in your head. Um, uh, either RJ or Gear Listener, but. That is kind of what they are. And they're very fun to listen to. I would recommend Sorry Mom to start out with because I really loved that album. Um, really loved it, actually. Uh, their second one, I also listened to. I don't quite remember. Their third one, Open Mouth, Open Heart, was really fun as well. Um, the Tardigrade song is by Cosmo Sheldrake, an artist who uh, does songs about animals. That's cute. Has a Pelican song. Tardigrades are pretty cool. I like the fact that they can survive anywhere. I also like the fact that they're called water bears. Yeah. But uh, uh, like as I understand it, uh, Cosmo Sheldrake is like the son of or related to some like, or is a... Oh wait, hang on, I got it right here. He is a field recordist, vocalist, um, experiments with musical instruments and incorporates natural sounds, son of a biologist, and brother of a mycologist. So, because of his father and brother being in the fields that they are, his songs are very, like, nature-based, and, like, here is the tardigrade song that tells you all about tardigrades. Oh, that's cute. Or a pelican song that tells you about pelicans. Yeah, I see this on some of his, uh, some of his discography. But Destroy Boys um, is Destroy Boys like a name, like a group name, like a we're the Destroy Boys, or is it more like Destroy Boys? I don't destroy know. Them. I either way, I'm I'm into it personally. Um, yeah, you know I, I do fair. not. I I call them. Uh, I just call them uh, the Destroy Boys. Um, although they, it could be as in like uh, instead of a proper noun, it could be a, 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 a phrase a command. <laughs> Yeah, where it is destroy boys. Um, in which case, you know what? Um, Such is fair life. Fair enough. Such is life. <laughs> That's all right. But um, yeah, I, I recommend them. 
They're nice. um, they're very fun to listen to. Um, I'm going to recommend Mystery Science Theater 3000's latest season. I've been watching through it. Uh, so about a year ago, maybe a little more than a year, uh, Mystery Science Theater 3000. Yeah, it's kind of been more than a year. It was like uh, maybe two years ago. Um, Mystery Science Theater 3000 was done with Netflix. And so they decided we're going to launch our own little streaming platform called the Gizmoplex, where you can stream all past episodes, and they were going to make a new season specifically for the Gizmoplex. But instead of being like a subscription service where you had to subscribe, you could also just buy individual tickets. Uh, So like if you only wanted to watch the one movie, you and your friends could all buy tickets to watch the one movie together. And, like, just rent it out. Uh, But, Pluto TV just got the entirety of the MST3K catalog on demand. And Pluto TV is free with ads. No sign-up required. So, I've been watching through the latest season. Uh, It's notable in that it has three hosts. So, for the Netflix series... They had Jonah Heston as the host. Uh, he comes back as the host. For the live tours, such as the live show I went to back in 2021, uh, Joel, the original host, had been doing live shows for a while, but in basically when COVID hit, he was like, you know what, I'm done doing live shows. It's just too much. Um, they have brought in a new host, Emily. Emily Connor to be the host for the live shows and she was very good at the live show I saw um but they brought her back to do some recorded episodes for the new season with her own set of bots and then they brought Joel back to also host a couple episodes so you get a really great mix of the different hosts different comedic stylings um some really, really dumb, weird films. Like, uh, fun fact, there is a Mexican spin-off, Mexican bootleg Batwoman movie. Is it good? No. <laughs> uh, it's the Batwoman. She wears a cowl and belt like Batman, or like Batwoman would. But her backstory is she is a rich Mexican wrestler. Like, her family was rich, but her parents died. She inherited She's a Mexican wrestler, but for whatever reason, her outfit is uh, a bikini, and her belt, and her towel, and her cape. Yeah, that's that's what I wear when I fight crime lord. Yeah. <laughs> oh, sorry, I'm I'm out of date with crime fighting fashions. Yeah, dude, you got to keep up. You got to subscribe to the newsletter. You know, I'm still back on turtlenecks. <laughs> Damn, you're rocking the. Uh... Yeah, turtlenecks and the three 90s. trench coats. Wow, <laughs> three trench coats. Well, that many like more to flap in the wind. Three, you swap out, or you wear all no, three all at, at the once, same time. All at once. That's brilliant. You got to get the <laughs> sound effect. <laughs> yeah, really fat, fat slap. Um, um, that's what they call them—the fat slap. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I am the fat slap. I slap in the night. Pa. <laughs> um, or like yeah, um, so there is one I don't know what it is with Mexican wrestler movies but uh, there was a and I actually do know a little bit what it is um, there is a Los Santos I think it was Los Santos or just Santos meets Santos meets uh, Dracula where a luchador a rich luchador who does experiments um, he develops a machine to let you go back and relive a previous life. Puts a he has a woman he knows volunteer for it, and in her previous life she was a uh thrall to Dracula, who visited Mexico one time, and then Dracula shows up in the present day and attacks. Oh, that's amazing! Oh my gosh. Do they fall in love? Uh, no, I don't think they do. 
I think the uh, wrestler just defeats Dracula with the power of wrestling. <laughs> just like Van Helsing. Exactly. <laughs> uh, but they're I actually kind of love that. They also have an arcing like meta plot where Kinga and Max are trying to like make the Gizmoplex as profitable as possible, hence getting more hosts, and they're getting financial backing from a mysterious benefactor from the future who keeps coming back from the future to like give them instructions on what to do next uh-huh. uh, with the whole like I have already seen the future it is imperative we do not commiserate no I will not get lunch with you it is dangerous to the timeline oh, that's cute um, meanwhile the three hosts have, two of the three hosts Jonah and Emily have decided like oh we uh, we should exchange notes on how to escape. Yes. So, for anyone who does not know, can you explain MST3K and what the what the appeal is? Oh, uh, Mystery Science Theater Three Thousand is a mid uh, show out of the Midwest originally, where Joel, a com- a stand up comedian focused on prop comedy, said, "Hey." People like to watch bad movies and make fun of them. What if we just did that for them? So, the original MST3K would have... The premise was that at the Gizmonic Institute, uh, Joel was just a helpless worker there, and a mad scientist shot him up into a floating satellite and would send him bad movies to find the bad movie that drives people insane. Uh, So, Joel his character being an engineer creates some robots to keep him company. But as it laid out in the title song, uh, he can't control when the movies start and stop because he used those parts to make his robot friends. Uh, so him and the robots, Tom Servo and Crow, Tom Servo's one name, Tom and Crow, uh, they all just joke about the movies as they watch these bad movies. Uh, it's a show that's kind of been on and off the air. The real appeal to it is it's just good humor. Like, it's it's dad humor, you know? It's references to other things. It's well-timed jokes. It's, like, a, at the live show I saw, there was flute music playing in the, the uh, over one of the scenes. And one of the, the joke was, lilting flute music? Quick, get the hobbit traps! <laughs> Because of anybody who's seen the Lord of the Rings films, there's that flute music that plays anytime the hobbits are in any scene. <laughs> That's good. That's, uh, I do have a question. So, like, is there ever a way, or have they ever done it before, where they, like, you can know what, what movies are going to be watched so you could watch them before the episode comes out? Um, or before you watch the episode? And that way you can also know what the movie is? Or... Because mainly when it aired, streaming didn't exist. This is a this is a show that's not been on usually for like... with. They would show you the movie while they were joking about it, so like yeah, yeah, you'd yeah. watch it along with. Um, not when it was before streaming. During the streaming days, you could kind of get a hold of it. One of the problems that with doing that though is they have to keep to about an hour-ish runtime, mm-hmm. and or there would be certain parts where like they'd have to cut around the movie because they couldn't show it on television because mm-hmm. it was a bad old movie. And so, with any of those, that's why they have, like, intermissions and jokes and things, is they literally just cut around the film. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, And then, like, with streaming, when they switched over to streaming, they actually kept their intermissions. So, like, they would have them, they would leave the theater, go out and do, like, a sketch or a skit or a song... But also, just in the middle of the movie sections when they were still in the theater, occasionally it would cut to a commercial sign where it would just be a little ditty about, like, uh, of the house band playing a little song as they show you a picture, and they're like, oh, you're watching MST3K, Moon 13, The Moon. And it would cut back to the film. I love that. It's a very, um... Uh, I want to use, I mean, you know, it's like, try to use this word, but it's a very nerdy premise. You know what I mean? In a good way. It really it's, is. It's very, 
It's very kind of like well, unique and a little dorky, but very. It seems very also endearing. very self aware. It's, yeah, it's self awareness is what makes it endearing. If it took itself seriously, it would be crap. But the theme song literally has the phrase. If you're wondering how they eat and breathe and other science facts, repeat to yourself it's just a show. I should really just relax. <laughs> it is it is a fun it's a fun idea for like a premise and it's honestly been replicated in a lot of um in a lot of media sense. Uh, a lot of people then. in like the current era have tried to pick up on it and like do their own versions like uh, Rooster Teeth had their own version. Um, there was another one I saw where it's like, oh, you're trying to do the mystery science theater thing, but I don't think people realize how much work goes into it, because uh, MST3K mm-hmm. actually has its own side company called Rift Tracks, where, because, like, they can't get the rights to mo- new movies, they will just record their riffs in time with the movie, so that if you buy, like, their digital download for Star Wars Rise of the rise of the Jedi or star Wars, the last Skywalker or captain Marvel or uh, Shazam. You can just play hit, like put in your earbuds, hit play on the audio file at the same time that the movie starts. No, I, uh, it is kind of funny. Um, the, the, the YouTube channel that I, I watch occasionally, uh, red letter media, does actually something similar where they just record they'll record a podcast like every so often where it'll be them like it's a little it's a little bit different because like they'll make jokes about a movie you know they did work yeah. for like ghostbusters i think and like um they did one for like star wars and gremlins and stuff like that and um that one's a little more focused like they'll make jokes and all that but they'll also mainly just like make comments they'll talk about like little little things about the movie and stuff like that it's a good idea i mean there's definitely an audience for it you know so yeah um, it's pretty cool i think the no one else has really taken off though because one of the msc3k process is intense like it's not just oh let's sit down and watch the movie and make jokes it's okay here's our writer's room here's the movie everybody go home watch the movie write down your jokes and then we're going to come back together compile our list of jokes at what points and test out which ones are the best ones. Are there running... Is there a running plot line through each episode? Like, are there little kind of, like, skits of an episode? Like, does each episode have, like, a little bare story um, that they sort of hang it on? Or is it, it mainly just... Yeah. Um, not usually, like, in episode... Not in, usually, like, per episode stories. Uh, there might be, like, running themes along the, like jokes of like oh crow wants to be a human so like the episode the the skits in this one are all gonna feature kind of revolve around him wanting that um Mm. or like there'll be overall kind of plot lines where like during the mike seasons uh at first mike just replaced joel on the satellite of love joel escaped and they got mike to replace him with as a temp worker and then mike escape the mads by turning the satellite of love into a spaceship and the mads chased after him through time and space what is is the mads the mads are the villains uh so originally it was dr clayton forrester and tv's frank and then (laughs) dr forrester and tv's frank died and dr forrester's mother cynthia forrester not cynthia yeah maybe cynthia i don't remember um but his mom took over the business and she was the one who went after Mike. And then when it got rebooted or restarted for Netflix, it started with Joel, or not Joel, Jonah, as the uh, victim. And then Kinga Forrester, daughter of the original Mad, and Max, TV's son of TV's Frank. Which TV's son of TV's Frank is a play on a actual Chicago-based uh, horror show, Son of Svengoolie. Where originally it was the Svengoolie show, which was one of those late night monster movie marathoners. Like, he'd do segments and bits and jokes and things on the commercial breaks of the monster movie that they would show for that week. And eventually it became Son of Svengoolie. So it's TV's son of TV's Frank. 
Oh, that's They'll also do complicated jokes. So like in the first Netflix season in the first episode, they did a rap called every country's got a monster. And they literally just do this rap song, not like a hard, fast rap, but like kind of a little bit of a slower rap on all the different kaiju that exist on the planet and how every culture has one. And then in second season, in the first episode, uh, the mad scientists demand, we want another song. It's uh, or like it's like the first or second episode. They're like, the first movie of last season had a great hit. It's time we get another hit. Write a new song. And so the host and the robots create a literal nonsense song. With nonsense lyrics. But it's lyrics that sound like... It's words that sound like lyrics. Like, uh... Sleepy Graham Greene can barely keep his eyes open. Uh-huh. Uh... But it's all about, like, getting in mechs. So... Oh, that's really cute. Or, like, there will be callback jokes, too, where, like, in the first episode of season two on Netflix, one of the... uh, In the movie that they're watching, a character, it's Mac and me, one of the characters says, like, Wow, look at all the cars! Pretty nice! And the, the Jonah and the bots all just pick up, like, Pretty nice! And throughout the rest of the film, anytime something comes up, they're just all like, pretty nice. Okay, that's kind of funny. But it'll like it'll make call it'll show up in other places. So like in the stuff that I've been watching, one of the episodes there oh, there was like a shot on the road with a bunch of cars, and one was like, Hey, look at all the cars. Pretty nice. <laughs> oh, that's cute. And then with the Netflix seasons, they would actually have a number. Of how many of the jokes that we tell are callback jokes that we've used before. So, like, they're at the in, during a title sequence, they'd hold up, like, a little sign with a number. That was, like, 9, 18, 12. And they'd be like, oh, that's the number of jokes that they reused out of previous episodes. And this is a counter only in some episodes or in others? Only in the like... Netflix episodes. Okay. Dude, I had no idea that this show could be so uh, complex in its own right, you know? Yeah, and it's one of those things that, like, technically has plot and story and, like, complexity, but also, like, it has no, can- like, canon. Yeah, no, it's it's kind of just, um, it's, a, it's a nice, like, fun idea, and... They are, they did, I won't say, I mean, they obviously didn't invent it necessarily, but they definitely perfected it to some degree, clearly. Um, they also, like, with the, like, Netflix seasons and on, each season kind of ended at a point where it's like, oh, that's it, that's over, that's the end, where are they going from here? And they just don't explain how they started a new season. So, like, at the end of season one, a giant robot worm comes down out of the ceiling and eats the host. <laughs> as the mad scientist was about to force him to marry her. And oh, when season two weird. starts up, he walks back onto the satellite with his helmet. He's like, guys, I'm back. And the robots both go, who are you? It's me, Jonah Heston. Uh, not ringing any bells. And he go when he goes to try and explain like how he escaped the worm, it cut, it's the show credits start and he gets sucked up into a tube. So he never gets a chance <laughs> to explain how he escaped. And then at the end of Classic. season two... They trap the mad scientists on a cart that leads back into a theater and starts them at the beginning of all of the videos from MST3K, hoisting them on their own petard and having to watch all the videos they tortured the hosts with. And then with the new season that's on like Pluto, at the beginning they're like, oh, yeah, we, uh, we blew up the theater to escape. Wow, this um, that that one sounds like a punishment from like Dante's Inferno. That's like uh, hellish, honestly. Yeah, um, it's also one of the key, it's one of the best examples of doing more with less. Uh, the first robots were built literally with scrap, like junk. 
to make robots. I mean, the gold robot's mouth is literally a bowling pin. That's awesome, though. That's where you and get the best stuff. The head of the red robot is a gumball machine. So I feel like that's much more, um, like, mad scientist-y. You know yeah. what I mean? Um, But then, like, with the latest... With Netflix, they had a little bit more money, right? Like... They had 3D sets that were, like, miniatures that were built to do the, sh- like, hallway sequence. And with the when they did their own stuff and got their own funding, they didn't have the money to upkeep those, like, miniature sets and stuff. So they did a lot more, like, green screen and, like, cardboard still effects and stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but it works. Yeah, you notice it's kind of like a downgrade, but at the same time it works because it's still in the spirit of the show. But yeah, I think that's enough of the media segment. No, that's fun. We gotta, we all got a crash course in uh, MST3K. Go watch it. It's one of those things that's better watched with friends. Yeah. It's either like with friends or on your own, nothing in between. Which is very much a binary statement, but... <laughs> I watch it on my own a lot because I really just, it's a very comforting watch. And with friends, it's a lot more of the, like, you all gotta be in on it, you know? Like, you can't just watch it with people and have people sit there and be like, oh, <laughs> that's fun. Like, you gotta be invested. Yeah, crack a few brewskis. Oh, absolutely. You know, settle in, get ready to roast a movie with uh, with your good friends, and your good friends who are also on screen. Uh, yeah, we want to do some better buddies, how to be a better buddy. Let's do it. Let's give some real and or humorous advice. What is a fake sign of intelligence? (sighs) (laughs) Using words wrong. Yeah, that's a big one. Which, uh, spoiler alert for Glass Onion. Pay attention to Miles Teller's character and his verbiage. I'm assuming that that has something to do with the murder mystery. I am not. I have seen Knives Out. Uh, I do, actually. Okay. That's all I'll say, then. Alright. But but just pay attention to his dialogue. It's, It's a clue. I'll be too busy paying attention to that hot body of his that he got in grade A military you Air mean Force Dave shape. Bautista? No, I'm talking about Miles Teller. He was in Top Gun no, Maverick. Dave Bautista. Oh, not Miles Teller. Fuck. Fuck, yeah, it's not Miles Teller. Miles Teller. It's, um, who was going to be the Hulk? Edward Norton. Oh, Edward Norton. They're both assholes, so. <laughs> hey, Edward Norton's a real actor, okay? he's He works hard every day. I also hear he he's really kind of a jackass, so was a Nazi for American History X. He, what? He really... You haven't seen American... I haven't seen American History X, so I just know it's, it's about him being a neo-Nazi. Oh. Um, well. Supposedly, it's a very brutal movie. Um, I think another thing of intelligence... Oh, go ahead. I was gonna say... Uh, um... Asking for statistics or sources, like a lot, like a lot to me, is like a big, oh, I think, um, like if everything I, needs to be cited. Yeah, like I think source? like, yeah, a big, a big sign of intelligence, I think, is like, um, being able to execute, like, intelligence in the field and sort of like a good part of any debate is like, I almost honestly think in a debate, unless it is something to do maybe with law or something, like sources or citations almost shouldn't play a well, huge role in it. I I think so. But I at least if we're talking like a debate among friends, yeah. like I guess it it depends. Like if it you use what sources you're citing for me, right? Like Yeah. I think it should just be a discussion and have fun. If it comes down to what's actually true, use good sources. Don't just use whatever you can fucking find with the first Google. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. 
that's very fair i just think like i think debates are like it's like um dude it's like an athletic competition like you you have to do it on the field like you can't just do it like you can't just peel off to the sidelines you know what i mean like that's the other thing too is like because i get that we have these things called phones and all that but like stopping every two minutes to like check something is just completely breaks like the flow of conversation like i think a debate in my opinion is not necessarily like an ideal debate is not a competition between two people to see like who's more right than the other it's really like a joint effort between two people to exchange ideas to the point where they come up with something new like that to me is like an ideal debate yeah and i think like constantly trying to cite sources or check facts or whatever I'm not saying don't ever do it but like constantly doing it it's like you care more about like the being right part than the actual like having a conversation and making something new which um i don't know like i don't know but uh yeah that'd be my that'd be my kick in nice um why is men's mental health always put on the back burner because you let it happen. Because we don't need it. Because we're being, we're tough, all right. We're, we're tough. We're, we're tough. We're, we're tough, tough guys. As I say, getting my fuzzy pajamas and my blankie and my teddy bear. Yeah, I say, looking at my squishmallow. I'm a man. Deal with it. We're men. Um, we say as we started our episode talking about our cherished childhood objects. Yeah, two stuffed toys. Yeah. <laughs> I, I do think, uh, I will say, I do think it's kind of insane that, like, kids as young as, like, especially young boys, boys as young as 12 are shown, like, like D-Day footage of, like, 20-year-old young men, like, um, you know, landing on the beaches or... Well, it's uh, called history class, James. I know. It's just like, I will say, I I was thinking about this earlier this week, um, both in respect to like men and women, like both, it seems like both sexes are kind of like um, taught that their lives don't matter consistently, just in different ways. ways. It's just sort of, I know this is, might be kind of a cliche or a moot observation, but it, it is just like, like boys, like from a young age are basically taught like, yeah, like at any moment, like, you know, you can, we, we basically all expect you to die for us or to be able to do that. Like, it, it's kind of just like a part of it. Um, so I guess good luck with that knowledge. Um, and then like girls, young girls or young women are like kind of taught like, yeah, like you'll be alive, but your life is really like it's not really yours. It's more of like you're kind of like an auxiliary support. You know what I mean? Like I you have to give them to note with this question too the historical context of mental health. Like, yeah, guys originally didn't get mental health help because men didn't need it because men didn't get hysteria. Yeah, because we're not we're not ladies. We're not and... ladies who need to quit society and go take a walk on some coastal coastal cliffside mental health retreat. they did not they kind of did some counseling but a lot of it was things like oh you're feeling depressed we're gonna lock you in a room with your depression or you're feeling melancholy great um we're going to send you upstate for fresh air and that was the nice with things that didn't count the oh you have bipolar? Great. Uh, padded cell. Goodbye. Yeah, people's attitudes towards that stuff did used to be really barbaric. I mean, men just literally didn't like. Many guys were. I mean, didn't they, have mental health problems, or they were literally bat fucking insane. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of them were just bat fucking insane. I think the thing is, is like they were allowed to do a ridiculous amount of shit that we would classify now as like mentally unstable and unsound and i'm not i'm not trying to be like oh like you know i do i do think it's you're not saying we need to go back to that time no you're just acknowledging the fact that at the times were such that men's uh immunity to consequences enabled them to get away with things they should not have been allowed to 
Yeah, that's why, like, ideally, you know, in a, it, like in an ideal world, like the code of you know chivalry and other stuff was implemented because it was supposed to like it was supposed to create a sort of you know cultural and social boundary where men were encouraged routinely like do not cross this like hold it as the this is the gold standard like just because you can do something doesn't mean you should you know um it is funny like a lot of uh a lot of kind of like angry young men online and i i would know i was and or occasionally still am one of them however having moved having moved past that phase for the most for the most part um I can say like it is funny because a lot of those guys will like they'll read philosophy or they'll read like books by you know um big thinkers and they'll be like look see this guy like this guy said in this page like like this is what's all wrong with like women and like the the female sex and blah 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 and it's like yeah all right that's fair but like most of philosophy is all about how like it's all about how men need to be better like most yeah. of philosophy is entirely and religion for that matter is like a critique of like the the male impulses or I drives mean, Jesus literally you know said if your eye wanders cut it out yeah basically yeah if you uh yeah better that you are blind he was looked upon it's like he was looked upon a woman uh you know in like what is it with a with adultery in his eyes is already committed adultery in his heart or something like that yeah. like yeah and it's and that's not to say obviously that those things can't be applied to women like i'm not trying to erase you know the the universality of those ideals but like they were very clearly you know like men, there were some pretty it was a sense of responsibility it was if we it were if, if in those ancient times men had the power structure and the power dynamics set that they had more power but it was also expected with philosophy and religious rules and et cetera, that you have the power be responsible with it. Yeah. That's the idea. It's, it's unfortunate that so few seem ever up to the, to the task. Um, though that is the idea. Um, I think part of it too is men's mental health is coming to the foreground, right? Like it's becoming more common to discuss but it's uh, going to take time and you got to push that conversation and, yeah, and call it's... people out when they are backburnering it. Like I am very blessed to work in a field where mental health is highly valued and I would be surprised. I'm pretty sure I couldn't tell you someone in my department that doesn't go to counseling or have some sort of mental health support. Maybe one or two, but nothing I could confirm. I'd be more comfortable saying most everybody is going to counseling in some way, shape, or form. Yeah, and it's, I mean, it's good to kind of have some way to do that. I, I do think, like, um, it can be difficult because a lot of, a lot of men are not uh, conditioned socially to be incredibly, like, articulate with their with their emotions like they don't really uh understand a, a big part of you know who they are um there's not a whole lot of internality usually uh kind of focused on um so it that is important i, I do think as well like i do think guys have other ways of sort of like relieving um stress and excess sort of uh anxiety or stuff like that which which can be therapeutic in its own rights and i think there are probably more quote-unquote like masculine modes of therapy that will emerge as the field develops that will yeah it's it's improving but also like keep in mind that it's going to take time it's going to spread you got to be the voice you want to see in the world so yeah and that, that applies to anybody who puts men's mental health on the back burner. If they're, like, saying, like, oh, it doesn't matter, call them out on it. Be like, hey, yeah, it does. Um, We'll do one more. Do you want to do one more? Yeah, let's do one more. All right. Uh, COVID shutdown started about three years ago today. What effects are you still seeing in your life? Wow, that's kind of nuts. 
Yeah. Uh, Three years ago. Okay. Okay. I will say this. Um, this is not an effect I'm seeing in my life, but it is something that the longer it goes on, I'm getting more and more like, not upset, but I'm just like, you gotta be fucking kidding, Ray. Um, incredulous is maybe a better word. They are still classifying on the Wikipedia page for coronavirus or COVID-19. They are still classifying this as an ongoing global pandemic, which I find uh, to be completely fair, ridiculous. Uh, like uh, U.S. only ended the pandemic a few weeks ago. Like officially, really, ended it. I just like I find. Uh, I always found that I like. I don't know. I've talked about this so much. First couple weeks of the pandemic, I'll say the first month or two, I was like, "Oh shit!" But then, as those two months went by, and like it became more and more apparent that this was going to be more of a social contagion than it was a biological one. That's when I started to be like, okay, great. Like, I can't wait for this to be even more stupid than it already is. And it did become incredibly fundamentally stupid. And because of that, I would say like, in my opinion, and I realize that like your opinions and these observed social phenomena have nothing to do with biological reality. I understand that. Yeah. Um, but I do think in, in, let's say in the social sense, the pandemic has been over for basically a year, maybe yeah. more like it, like it, we don't act like it and it doesn't matter like what the label is ultimately it's, it's been done like it, it's over. And, um, yeah, I don't know. I just, I, that for some reason, like the ongoing thing is just very, yeah. it's very odd to me. Cause it's like, it, it's like almost kind of ignoring the collective reality of the situation in my, in my personal opinion. But yeah, I, I kind of get that. I think one of the things that is still like, I'm still seeing is the travel restrictions is what's directly affecting me right now where it's like look i fucking get it but like it's fucking over just cut the restrictions out why are you doing this to me are there still restrict where are there restrictions japan has some restrictions that are loosening up but you still need to be like like if you want to be considered vaccinated you have to be triple vaxxed which i'm just like man now I gotta go get a booster. <laughs> and it's kind of those like, whatever. I'll do it. But come on. It's it's over. This is it. Congratulations. Yeah. Yeah, um, I, uh... I think one of the things that is... Ooh, excuse me. One of the things that I'm still seeing in my life too, though, a little bit, is the... It doesn't, I don't know why, uh, maybe it's just like holdover from pandemic, but I don't like big groups. Like, it's not necessarily because I'm afraid of getting sick. I'm just kind of like a little bit more, like, I, I wasn't hugely thrilled with going to like crowded places in the first place. Mm-hmm. And then just because like I spent three years not being in any kind of crowd. Now when it does come to situations with crowds, I'm kind of like, or like, do I have to go in there or could I just go home? Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I can understand that. I think like, that's a lot of people, and they're going to be pushing around, and it's going to be hard to walk through, and the like food and drink is going to be overpriced. What if I just didn't? Yeah, I built a I fantastic internal life. Why do I need an external one? I think there's something so electrifying, even in, I, I guess, a good thing. I almost kind of feel the opposite, honestly. Like, I I do not always like crowds, but I do think in the post uh, kind of pandemic, there's a still sort of a glow of walking through somewhere that's very, like, charged with energy and with a lot of people and seeing life kind of 
unfold, especially after everyone was so scared for for quite a while. Um, for to a degree, both artificial and very, very uh, valid and real reasons. And I like that to a degree. I've I've almost come to appreciate it more, though I also do still very much appreciate the time I spend alone. Yeah. All right. Well, that's our show this week. Thank you for joining. All right. Thank you for having me. Thank you to the band Problem of Interest for letting us use the song Living in the Moment off the album Cross Off Yesterday. You can find them on iTunes and Spotify. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever fine podcasts are sold. Make sure you leave a review and rate us. Subscribe, all those good things. Uh, you can also find us on social media. Our Facebook is Better Buddies, where we post our meme Mondays. Our Twitter is at Better Budcast. Use the hashtag Better Buddies when you tweet about the show. And our Gmail account is BetterBuddiesCast at gmail.com. You can send us fan art, hate art, fan mail, hate mail, declarations of love, and or war, icebreakers you want us to answer, questions you need advice on, or story ideas you want us to flesh out. And last but not least, be a better buddy. Targets? Nah, targets for bougie people. Walmart is the is the common man's store. It's the store of the working <laughs> class. It's um, the true store I, of the proletariat. It, it's yes, exactly. That's that's what I'd like to lobby their new slogan to be: Walmart, the true store of the proletariat. <laughs> Blue um, is the new red. <laughs> yes, it's yes. the communist flag, but it's just that yellow smiley face. <laughs> oh man, I love that actually. It's great.